Very good. Um, we've read from Second Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. And um, in First Corinthians, it could be said that, um, that in, in the first epistle there, the apostle Paul takes the roof off the church there at Corinth and we actually get to have a look at what is going on in the church there um, in that first letter and in the early church. And here in Second Corinthians, we've just let, uh, read a small portion Brother Troy has, and here what we're seeing is um, Paul opening his heart and, uh, and, and he lets us see his love and concern for the work of the Lord, the ministry of the Lord, as it was read there in verse 1 of chapter 4, the true Christian ministry with all the problems and all the um, critics and, and, and um, you know, they, they, they were very, well, we'll, we'll see. And so, and, uh, so chapter 1 to 9... He, Paul is addressing primarily to the majority in the church that have repented that, you know, that from the first letter, chapter 1 to 9, just encouraging them, you know, the reconciliation has been made with that stumbling brother, that sinning brother, and you want to, you know, envelope him with love again and receive him. He's truly repentant. And uh, and 10 to 13 deals with that minority of... um, those that are still causing problems, yes, with their critical attitude, their attacks on Paul's apostleship, and he was defending that. And, you know, they were lying, they were laying false charges against him that were not true. And, and so where did the Apostle Paul, as we see, learn to speak so positively with compassionate love against all that criticism? You know, he, as we remember... From Acts, he was once himself a persecutor, and uh, and you know he had been convinced of his error by the appearance of the Lord Jesus unto him, as we know from Acts chapter nine, and you know this was a great deed of mercy, you know, and we know mercy means that which is kept from us, you know, not receiving what we really deserved. We know grace is God giving to us, like his divine enablement and love we don't deserve that so but with mercy uh, we do not deserve his divine enabling but he as we see in the apostle of paul a great mercy and you know his sins were forgiven him and he felt in his own heart as we see through his words that he was a regenerate man a new man a new creation changed cleansed And this was the overwhelming evidence to him, and it should be to us, that the gospel is from God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And having received mercy for himself, he judged everyone, other men around him, that showed no mercy, but he was able to judge them and he, as he was, and that, and that this same gospel, which had brought light and comfort to his soul and to his heart, would bring salvation to them also, even against all odds. And so let's open in prayer as we ask the Lord to, to bless this uh, message today. As the heading is, the true gospel is, and we'll go through three points at what it is. Father God in heaven, we just thank you for your word of truth from creation through to its consummation. Lord, we thank you that 
You have given us a message of the blessed hope, Lord, of eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit today that indwells in us as believers and we pray you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may behold the wondrous truth of your word, Lord, especially the wondrous truth in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as the gospel saved us and we also live by the, the wonderful truth there, Lord, in letting men see Christ in us. And I pray that we only see the Lord Jesus Christ in the word today, in what he did for us on that cross, that cruel cross of suffering and agonies, Lord, that in our stead he died for each one of us, Lord. May we understand and appreciate that, Lord, and we'll look at different things, <coughs> Lord, that entailed all that coming together in his great love and mercy and lord we pray now that you would just settle our hearts and minds that we can lord be centered around your um your word and your cross lord in we ask these things now in jesus precious name amen all right first point of a true gospel is a glorious light and in many places in the New Testament, you could probably quote verses to me that describe um, the glorious light. For example, the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Or the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. And let's go right back. I want to go right back to the beginning of the Bible. I want to go right back to chapter 1 of Genesis and see... In the beginning and see how God first dealt with darkness in the first chapter of the Bible. I'm going to read verses 2 and 3 and 4. Well, actually, let's read 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And I'll just read to there, verse 4. And what happens here, okay, what we've just read, right from the first chapter of the Bible, when you have the word of God, and God said, that is the word of God, verse 3, and the spirit of God, which we saw in verse 2, moved upon the face of the waters. What is the outcome here? We see that God divided, divided the, the darkness, the light from the darkness. And we could say that this is the first mention of the doctrine of separation. We do see this right throughout scripture, you know, this separation in regards to the holiness of God. If you wanted to describe the holiness of God in one word, the, probably the best word would be separation, separate from that which is dark, that which is evil, because God is holy. And separation must always be the outcome when there is darkness. And the Bible uh, is all about the darkness. Um, That the darkness is removed by the word of God and the spirit of God. And if we want to see a type of what type of human beings we are in darkness before we are saved, we can see it here. The type, the 
We can see it in verse um, 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And as we see that, the lost sinner is formless and empty, and the heart is dark with sin. But when he trusts Christ, he becomes a new creation. Then God, by his Holy Spirit, in the inner man, we know the heart from within, begins to form and fill the person who trusts Christ as he formed and filled the earth in creation. And so the letting in of the light makes everything new. So back in our reading, I'll just go back there now to our reading. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, what do we read? We read the Apostle Paul compares conversion to creation, our new life. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, what we realised early on in the reading, there in chapter 3, verse 13, And not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. So Paul had been speaking of Moses with a veil, with covering his face and I know many Victorians understand this very well with the mask they've had to wear and here we have Moses covering his face for different reasons Paul now being filled and guided by the Holy Spirit sees a deeper spiritual meaning in this account of what he's mentioning here about Moses in Exodus and I want to, I need to read that those few verses of Moses with God concerning the children of Israel, but it's concerning the Ten Commandments. Let me read that. Moses 34. Sorry, yes. I'm going to read from verse 29 to 35. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand that he came down from the mount that Moses... Whistle knew not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. That's God, when he was talking with God. Verse 30, And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were all afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. And when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off before the Lord, that is, until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put a veil upon his face again until he went to speak with him. Just in our general reading of that, we would not pick up that reason why he was covering his face. Yes, it shone. It it glowed with um, glory in having spoken to God. And why did he cover it? Well, we understand here that from Paul writing here that, um, see, this is the second time that Moses came down from the mount. See, we know what happened the first time. 
and the sin and the wickedness that happened there with the children of Israel, with the golden calf, and and then the, the the first tablets were broken, and God was just about to consume them. But Moses interceded and he prayed, and he even offered his own life in as, as a substitution, as not. And see, we see Moses as a type of Christ, and uh, in that, and but here he is. Um, Interceding for them, but all right, the skin of his face shone while he talked to God, and it shone. And just thinking before we, when we talk to God, when we pray to God and have fellowship with God, does that cause our countenance to shine and to reflect the glory of God when we're around other people? And that was just a thought I had just in, in that. And so, all right. It's, with this glorious light, let's look at that as we see in the gospel. See, verse 7 um, there. But if the ministration of death, this is talking about the law, written and engraven in stone was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses... For the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Now, that done away means it, it faded away as he spoke. But he kept going into the Lord, remember, each time and, and getting, uh, talking to the Lord. And then it shone again and he had to put it back on. But it kept... And so what the Apostle Paul is explaining here... Now, there was a glory in the law. And you might ask, how is that possible? How was it glorious? Well, that... There in verse 7 was glorious. That this means it came with glory, literally. Came with glory. And that glory was on the face of Moses and it faded. And so how was the Lord glorious? We know. We know when it was administration of death. We just read there in verse 7. And verse 9 also. It was administration of condemnation. It, it, and so... You know, that was the purpose of the law. It, it was to show the glory of God, you know, in his righteousness, in his perfect righteousness and holiness and the standard that man had to keep to meet his standard of righteousness. But, you know, it was a hard-set standard. It, it was demanded obligation that... And we know from the New Testament that there's none. There's none righteous. There's none who... No, not one that keeps the law of God and or has ever kept it, except a more glorious law, which Paul goes into, the law of Christ. And so as we see that, as it was read this morning, like look at the end of verse 8, verse 9, verse 10 and verse 11. We see a, a greater glory that, see, this fading away was... Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll get to that in a minute because there's a word there that points to that and this greater glory, rather glorious, because that means in verse 8, more glorious there at the end of verse 8, and, and much more, exceeding in glory. There's something that is greater to come. And the glory that excelleth, much more is glorious. And so... As we consider those thoughts, those words, Moses had advocated, as I said before, he'd besought the Lord to spare Israel from... God had every right to consume them. But in his will and in 
the um, intercession of Moses. Um, they, he didn't, and it was God's will anyway. And so Moses prayed that God would have mercy on the people and that God and the Lord showed mercy through Moses' prayer. And Moses asked for God's glory. As we look, we haven't got time to look, but in chapter 33, which is the chapter before 34, he asked God to show him his glory, which God said, You cannot look on my face, because it says, For there shall no man see me and live. But what Moses witnessed there in God revealing him to his glory to Moses was the grace and mercy of God that he spared, yes, one, the children of Israel and that they had another opportunity to repent of and, and, and reconciling with God and with Moses and going against his leadership. And, there was, and what we read in chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, we read of the glory of God, which is the long-suffering of God the goodness of God, the truth of God, and his forgiveness. This is the mercy of God. And so, and Moses was there, we understand, was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord. So you can see this comparison as a type. And and so, verse 13, I want to look at that now. That's where I was getting to. The end. There's a little word called end in verse 13 of chapter 3. And not as Moses which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now you're probably getting the meaning now because that actually means that it has two meanings. It means, yes, like the end of a story is finished, is it not? Like when you read the end, it's completion. And that is in respect to time. There was going to be a finish of this dispensation of the law that was just being given then. And a greater glory was going to come. And that was glorious, and so in um, so that fading away was hidden from the children of Israel, that glory on the face of Moses, for that reason, and we learn about it here in the New Testament. We don't where it's talked about when it in, in Exodus. And so the covering veil stopped people from seeing the finish of the glory on the face of Moses. So for that, as we have that explained to us, Um, We have the privilege of witnessing the greater glory, the dispensation of the law that was to start, and it started with the giving of we know as the Ten Commandments and many other laws, but it was hid from the people that it was going to end and be replaced with a greater glory, the dispensation of grace. So, And so the second meaning in that word end, that was the first, just the end, and there was a purpose, and Paul uses it as a picture, figuratively here, the purpose in the second meaning of that word end, um, because it's applying to the nation of Israel today. And so we read about their minds in verse 14. Unto this day remaineth the same, veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. So today, even, even now we know it's the same. Even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. They do not see the Lord Jesus Christ as their true Messiah. And nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord. So here we have... Um, When it shall, that's talking about the nation of Israel, their hearts shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. And who does that? We read that in the next verse. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. It's the Holy Spirit that removes 
from the eyes, the scales from the eyes of their heart. And so, um, sorry. Okay, so what we're seeing is the revealing of the glory of Christ in in that purpose. And so the true gospel is a glorious light. It reveals the glory of Christ. And so the eternal Son of the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ, I just want to read from Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The eternal Son of the Father is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Saviour is also our Creator. And so the one infinite you know, the Godhead, the three in one, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, we see they were all involved at creation. And so the gospel further reveals to us the sovereign son of the highest who in heaven is equal with God because he thought it not robbery even to be like to be equal with God. He, there was, it was, they were the same. And, uh, and, when, and so what the great significance to us is, when he came to earth, he humbled himself as a servant and was made in the likeness of sinful men. He took upon that form of a servant, what we need to realise, yet without sin. And, that, and it, so in that, he was always God and made in the likeness of men, yet without sin. And, you know, this must be good news to us, um, that the offended one who we have offended, God, should take upon himself the nature of the offender. And the Lord God, that is omnipotent, all-powerful, we understand this, he became Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. And that God, we know, hateth sin. And, you know, his wrath burns against sin, against iniquity. And he's the one who dwelt among us, amongst us sinners, and saw and felt in that time, their evil ways, even more as a, as a man, and uh, he prayed for them in what they even after what they did for them. Father, forgive them for for they, you know, forgive them as we know. And this is you know the same glory God revealed to Moses after um, that forgiveness, that glory of forgiveness God showed to Moses and mercy and long suffering and and compassion as we see there when they sinned against God in, uh, and after that first giving of the commandments. And so forgiveness, patience, long-suffering, just and true. And so we read and we know from John 1.14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And, you know, it talks about in that verse, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, and we know that was full of grace and truth. The greatest revealing of Christ's glory of love is seen in the finished work of the cross there. And he gave himself, and we might think of that old hymn in thinking of these thoughts, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon, my guiltiness, 
my penalty, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And so there, as we just remember him hanging there in the agonies of death, bearing the abandonment of his own father and the thick black of that night darkness as he bore the sin of this world on himself. The author of glory, now deprived for that moment of all glory, can a more glorious thing be said of our Saviour? That he, for our sakes, was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is the gospel we know of substitution, and I think we can understand that, that Jesus stood in our place, in the sinner's place, and bore the sinner's punishment, what was due to the law of God, what was required of God's demands. On, and he did that. He stood on our account of our sin and transgressions. And so as we see in verse 12 there of chapter 3, seeing that then that we have such hope of this greater glory that has been revealed and the other one is finished, praise the Lord. It was hard living under the old law. We use great plainness of speech and Our glory in life should only be in the cross and in his glory and what he showed to us there. Our only hope should be in the crucified one. This is what the gospel means, the bringing of good news of of salvation through the cross. That the incarnate God, the Lord Jesus Christ, had borne man's sins and died in man's stead, that's our, we can personalise that, was buried and risen from the dead, praise the Lord. And, uh, and, you know, he has borne our nature up into glory, making intercession, you know, for us, saving sinners whom he purchased with his own blood. And so the Lord of glory mediates, he is our mediator, he mediates between man and God, Pleading for the unjust ones, you know, the uttermost, the guttermost, the vilest offender. He is applying the blood which he has shed to each heart that comes to uh, God by him, comes to the Father by him. And, you know, there is a final fact of which, you know, will be the fullness of his own glory, the fullness of his own glory when Christ comes to gather all his own, that is believers who have believed unto himself and to take them up to be with him where he is. And that will be glory, the rapture of the church. And, you know, there is a wondrous light in the gospel both for the present but also for the future. And so future blessings, the blessed hope. And so after we understand these words, like we read in Romans and we read the fullness of the Gentiles and we understand that is completed at the rapture when the church is taken to heaven and then God deals with we know from Romans chapter 9 10 11 he deals with the Jews in and uh, and their heart which we just read there in chapter 3 is still blinded it's still veiled and covered it's and there's a scale there causing them not to see that Christ is their true Messiah. And so this nation of Israel, we understand and we, we, we learn in the scriptures that it's, it'll be in the tribulation. They will be a national conversion to Christ and they'll get saved and turn to him and they'll recognise him as we see testified here. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord in verse 16 of chapter 3, the veil shall be taken away and they will, um, and it'll only be about a third of them 
and, uh, and I can't imagine what they've been through. But God has drawn them to himself. He's got their attention. They've been humbled through what they've just been through in the tribulation there. And so his will will be done. And Christ will be glorified at the fulfillment of his word, as Apostle Paul is referring to here in verse 14 to 16. And, you know, Paul is using the experience of Moses, as we read about there in chapter 3, um, of his veil to illustrate the glorious freedom and openness of the Christian life under grace, whether you're Jew or Gentile. Jews can get saved now if, if, if they respond to the gospel and, um, today. And the gospel is full of light, revealing first the mediator and then the Lord God himself as we come through the mediator and see God in Christ. The gospel light reveals God himself. And just looking at chapter 4 at the end of there, because he is the image of God, of chapter 4, 4 at the end there, who should shine unto them. And as true believers, we have no doubt or questions who he is and, and what he is and what he has done for us. And maybe now, maybe you are in the darkness of despair despondency, depression or fear? And does your future seem awfully dark before you? Let's only hear Jesus say, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. That's in Revelations 1.8. And so we don't need to fear death. In that regard, and the horror of hell, which Christ has the keys. The gospel liberates at the end of verse 17 there of chapter 3. It liberates the captive mind, the mind that is in bondage, in fear of the consequences of the law, of not being able to keep it. And to be able to think on those things that are only true, this is liberation, to think on those things and meditate on them, and live them, those things that are only true, those things that are honest, those things that are just, those things that are pure, those things that are lovely, those things that are of good report. And we know that from um, Philippians 4. And so the gospel removes the pains and remorse of guilt. This is the glory of God. The gospel removes those pains through forgiveness and reconciliation that God offers. And then as we forgive, um, as God forgave us, we're to forgive men their trespasses and sin. God wants us, and that's how we show the glory of Christ in us. God wants us to live the gospel as we were saved by it. 2 Corinthians 4.2, I know we're just between 4 and 3, 4 and 3. And this is it here. But have, we have, or and Paul's testifying, renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, as some were still, the minority in the church, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The influence of a holy life is very powerful. It is often the greatest contribution we can make to the salvation of men in our witness for Christ. And as we live in the glory of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is referred to as the joy of our salvation when we're right with God and walking in his ways. It should be in our lives 
literally a joy unspeakable of having Christ be our saviour and the glorious God to be our father. And so a glorious light reveals the glory of Christ, that forgiveness, that long-suffering, that goodness, that truth, that mercy. And so I want to go on to the second point. The gospel is plain and clear. And I think we're already picking that up already. But what we can look at is, I have a quote here. Quote, A man has never fairly mastered a subject until he is able to communicate his thoughts on that subject so that the persons of ordinary intelligence can tell where he is at, what he is saying, end of quote. So here we have the second letter of Corinthians, and the majority of the church now, praise the Lord, are generally following his advice and teaching from that first severe epistle, that letter that he wrote. But he was still, again, being challenged and attacked by a vocal minority mainly being false Judaizers. They were trying to mix law with grace still. And Apostle Paul, separation, darkness has to be separate from light. Okay? And so this is what he's teaching. And so um, it was not plain and clear when you mix law with grace. It was becoming confusing. And Paul called it in this same Second Corinthians another gospel. It was so distorted. It distorted the truth of Christ. And, you know, today still more and more certain ministers, as they call, Paul would call them, as we read in 2 Corinthians, like 11.13, deceitful workers. And 11.15, Satan's ministers of righteousness, even posing as angels of light. Satan was... um, doing that work through them. And they like to preach things not easily understood by the common person. It's so unnatural and opposite to God's way of thinking and word. And they have upon themselves, these false ministers, an educated air of wisdom. And even certain hearers, unfortunately, prefer to be gratified with things that are difficult to hear and intricate maybe. And what we understand is there's no authority in Scripture for gratifying this longing of the flesh, of these hard sayings. And when you prepare a dish of food, okay, for eating, as we do, do you not carefully endeavour to take out the nuts, the stones, the seeds, or even the bones like out of the fish before serving it? And when we consider that, it's not a good thing if someone swallows a bone. And one can be quite injured by them. Searching souls want spiritual nutrition, not problems and riddles. And the true gospel is simplicity itself. They want to be able to come to the word and partake of it without having to choke. Or um, So the true gospel, we've, we know it's referred to as being in the simplicity of Christ. The simplicity itself. And see, when you plant a seed in your garden, you push the seed into the prepared soil, you cover it and you water it, and what? Do you worry and fret about the fact that you might have planted the seed upside down? What about our crop farmers? You know, they're planting hundreds of acres of seed. What if they get to the end of their 
night and they realise, hang on, I've just planted all these seeds upside down. What a waste of time and money. What a failure. That illustration is foolishness, right? You probably picked that up. It's the foolishness of a false teacher. Handling, as we see in verse 2, the middle there, the word of God deceitfully. Okay? Everyone knows, even our children know, that it doesn't matter which way you plant a seed in the ground. Okay? It doesn't matter. It'll still grow upwards. Yes, there is a mysterious force that God has put into that seed to work out which way is up. And only God knows. And, you know, it's, we know it's the sunlight above that, that gives that plant the life it needs with the watering and uh, for itself to grow upwards. So um, if we walk in the light of his word, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus, will help us rise above the things of this earth. We'll know which way is up as the seed does. Even no, we don't know some things about how that happens. Now, what I'm getting to is there are many great mysteries in life, all right, like the seed germinating when it has died and sprouting upwards when it has been watered. But it does not stop us from bearing, you know, fruit for food, like we still grow food, even though there's many things we don't understand how it all happens, the science and the... We know a lot, but just... It's, a lot of it's just we trust in the Lord, in God, and he supplies all our needs according to his riches in glory. So let's look at the facts, though. How God could come among men and take upon himself our nature. We've referred to that. And that is a great mystery, all right, that we do not know how it could be, but we know it was done. Cause we, and that fact is enough for us that he did it. He, it said that he did it and... We rejoice that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, as we know from John's gospel. The miracle of atonement that took place at the cross. Okay, I don't understand that. But the doctrine of atonement, I do. As a fact, it happened, it took place, atonement was made. That is plain enough. How Christ suffered in our stead and for his suffering to be reckoned, to be redemption for our sins... You know, even that could raise some question, but the fact is clearly revealed. And I think I understand substitution when someone does something else for you. Like those truths, you, we, we start to see the bigger picture of God's plan of redemption. But if God has set forth Christ, as we know in 1 John 2, 2, to be a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, um, what is our most reasonable response to that? We learnt that the word propitiation means uh, that the Lord Jesus satisfied God's just demands as a holy God um, and that he did that. And and look, if God is satisfied with that, let's not get on to rabbit trails. Like, even with grace, people do because there's certain things we may not understand about it. But let's use this illustration. Most of us like KFC. We don't always get it because it's expensive and it's not healthy. But it doesn't stop us from time to time eating it, does it? Even though we don't know all the 11 secret herbs and spices, we still go and purchase it and eat it and partake of it. And the facts are plain enough. It's nice to eat. And the fact of um, 
the Lord Jesus Christ is um, freedom, it's liberty that we that Paul experienced when he was saved there in Acts 9 and look what he went on in that belief to do greater things that the Lord did through him that he did not even understand himself some of the great and wondrous miracles there and, and, and he probably would never have comprehended the impact on the world up to this day the billions of people that have read his epistles he know that in the ages to come because they wrote about that in the, in the time to come the how many generations, I don't know if they ever thought to this far. But believing in them, we are justified. See, believing in what God has done for us through his son, even many things we may not understand fully, we are justified um, by faith. Now, someone may ask, what is believing? Okay, maybe, you know, they've not understood how they have offended God by their sin and, and they need some help in seeing that they stand guilty before a righteous God, so a righteous, holy God. And, you know, we understand that at least nine of the Ten Commandments are restated in the New Testament, which the Lord Jesus Christ referred to in the Apostle Paul himself. Nine of them. And, you know, we know that all Scripture, whether it be the old or new, is given um, by, is profitable is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So in sharing the gospel of repentance toward God in that case and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in trusting, depending, leaning upon, relying upon, that is all. If we need to be philosophers in order to be Christians, millions and myself would never get to heaven would not be there. We would all perish. Yes, our natural man, our sinful human nature would like to have some profound little gospel all to oneself where we would dig a moat around the cross to keep the vulgar crowd from intruding. That's the way we are naturally, the sinful nature. But the word of God tells us that this is not the gospel nor the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that in verse 5 of chapter 4. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Many now who are rejoicing in Christ in heaven, right now, were from some of the poorest and uneducated backgrounds. God has chosen the foolish, the weak things of this world to confound the wise. The gospel makes the most illiterate wise unto salvation. We tell them that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if the gospel is not this plain as we see there at the end of verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. It is hid. If it's not plain as... It is, it is hid to them that are lost. And um, ho, tragically, how many people are perishing in hell now because it was too easy to obey. It was too simple. So may we be continued to be encouraged to preach it plain. This is our third point, our last point. Glorious light reveals the glory of Christ. It is plain and clear. Let's preach it plain, as not just from the pulpit, but from everywhere we have the opportunity in our, in our acquaintances. And so 
the plainness there, verse 12, can we see in the chapter 3, at the end there, we use great plainness of speech. This actually literally means boldness, boldness of speech, because he has such great hope and confidence in the power of the gospel. Because Paul wrote that one sixteen of Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and to the Gentile, the Greek. And so sometimes the dark clouds of doubt, fear, and defeat cause us to shrink back, okay? We need to climb the ladder of faith. Let's read verse 18 of chapter 3. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, as by the Spirit of the Lord, um, in verse 17, we had there mentioned too, The Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we have two mentions of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we see the doctrine of the Holy Spirit here in these two verses because let's Paul is um, making a contrast even here with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, yes, is definitely a part of the deity of God. It's a person. It's the Lord, as we read there. And... Part of the three in one, okay? The Spirit of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit in verse 17 is what we see in the context indwelling the believer. First, indwelling of someone who's put their faith and trust in, in him, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's salvation. Now, it is written straight after the context of the national conversion of Israel. Okay, that has taken the the Holy Spirit has unveiled their hearts and uh, let and given them the illumination they've needed to see Christ as the true Messiah. So when the eyes of their hearts are opened in verse sixteen, they shall turn to the Lord. The veil shall be taken away. The veil that is blinding them from the truth is removed by the Holy Spirit, as we read there in that context. And no sinner, Jew or Gentile, can turn, a, turn to Christ apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God upon their hearts and minds. But when we get to first 18, so we see there the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul is talking to believers now in verse 18 about the Holy Spirit because it talks about their open faith, their unveiled, uncovered face. It's, they've been, um, the Holy Spirit has already done that. And so only the Spirit of God can bring about spiritual transformation into the likeness of Christ. That is that same image we read there from glory to glory. And so, and this is what is called the filling of the believer in progressive sanctification, glory to glory. From within, because that's what that word change means, from within. Transformed. Only the Holy Spirit can transform from within the heart. And the ladder of faith, as I was just mentioning before, you know, a ladder has two uprights, okay? The Word of God and prayer. What holds your ladder of faith together, okay, while you grow in Christ from glory to glory? Because that word there, as a glass, beholding as in a glass, that's referring to the word of God. As we look into the word of God, we should see a mirror, image, reflection of ourselves in the image of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. 
as we grow in him. But what is supporting those? We have nine rungs that support the two upright and we need to go to Galatians 5. And what we read there, you may know, in verse 22 to 23, is the fruit of the Spirit of God. Here we have the work of the Spirit in supporting the nine rungs. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, because this is the glory of God. This is the liberty we have in Christ, where we can... um, Glory as we grow in the Lord, develop these. And again, the Spirit here we have introduces us into the life of liberty, as we read there in Second Corinthians, there in that chapter, verse 17. Not bondage in God's will, because against such there is no law, that law of bondage. It's the law of liberty. This allows us to reach beyond, you know, as we're talking, our ladder of faith as we climb it, allows us to climb and reach beyond the clouds of doubt, fear and defeat. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you know, verse 4, I'm just going to quote here from here. Paul says expressly, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, the glory of God. The apostle Paul, we know, was a deep thinker. He was a learned man in the law. A man of profound insight. And he had a very subtle mind. He was a man who God used mightily in reaching the Gentiles and giving us the New Testament, many of the New Testament letters, the epistles. And so he also, we know, wrote some things um, that were hard to be understood because Peter mentions that in his epistle. But when it came to the gospel, he would have nothing but simplicity there. And we see that. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.2, I determined not to know anything among men save, that is, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The true man of God will not veil the gospel beneath performances and ceremonies. We are to mark those who do this. We're to separate from them as we are being in according to God's holiness and avoid them because it's not of God. If Christ is in those places at all, okay, he is hidden behind tradition, religious garments, refined language or just the modern day fireworks that they have now in the clanging symbols in a lot of places of worship that they call worship. This is not the true church the Lord Jesus taught should be it's as preachers we are even meant to hide ourselves behind the cross of christ that we would only see jesus and just including this i want to look at three and four which of chapter four verse three and four well we've looked at three but four in whom the god of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of christ who is the image of god should shine unto them The God, that is a little g, the God, Satan, the God of this world, can use bitterness, he can use pride, he can use materialism, just the pleasure of sin even, to blind the eyes of the unbelieving, to not understand. So 
that they will not in any way accept or appreciate the gospel even when they hear it, let alone believe it. So this is a sign of, as we see, perishing. Um, he that believeth is, well, he that believeth not is condemned already, all right? Because he hath not believed on the Son of God. Oh, what a shocking condition that is to be in. And um, willfully in darkness, shutting your eyes to the light. Now, definitely you are certainly lost, as it says here in the scriptures. And Christ, we know, is the image of God at the end of verse 4 there. Satan is the biggest plagiarizer of God. He mimics God and holds, you know, he holds a holding power over men's minds and thoughts. And we know he is very crafty, he's very deceitful. He's the father of lies and he has many devices by which he perverts the human judgment of reasoning, of sound reasoning, common sense. And is the God of this world your master? While you breathe, he doesn't have to be your God any longer. And there is a prayer we should pray and you know, for those that are perishing. O oh Lord God in heaven, open the eyes of those who believe not already, who have heard the glory of your gospel truth. Turn them from darkness to light by your Holy Spirit, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Amen. What good has he ever done to you, the God of this world, the devil? What is there about his character that makes him worthy to be your God? Stop being a slave to sin and yield yourselves to God. And whoever liveth, God, whoever liveth to take care of those who put their trust in him. May the Lord bless you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For the glorious light of the gospel that has shone from the darkness of there in the beginning, Lord, that was separated. And Lord, the goodness of creation as God spoke his word by the Holy Spirit that moved upon the face of the waters, we see the new creation of the world. And everything in it was good. And Father, we see as we are turned in our hearts in true repentance from that which has plagued us in sin, the transgression against you, Lord. The law of God, the Ten Commandments, which we've disobeyed you in, Lord. We pray in true repentance we can turn from darkness to the true and living way. Father, we pray that by your grace you will help us. Help us to share this light that is glorious and not to cause it to be hid because of, Lord, contemporary ways of presenting it that are now common and modern lord we pray we'll stick to the word of god so the holy spirit can have the the full work of his power in the hearts and minds of unbelievers lord may we be encouraged by this today as we would have the same hope that paul had with the same boldness that paul had lord and we can if we would seek to preserve and, and, and proclaim the simplicity of the gospel as we've had presented today in the word of God. In Jesus' name, we pray you'll go with us, Lord. Keep us safe. Help us to keep the cross in the centre of our lives this week, the crucified one, 
as our praise and glory and worship to you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.